Wow. That's excellent. Hundreds of voices singing out how great God is. That sounds awesome when we fill this place like that. It's great. It's a little high. Excellent. Let's just pray before we get started. Jesus, we just want to start today, um, just before we get into the Word, just to recognize how much in need we are of you. We stand, we need, we need you for everything, but we stand here right now. We need you to, to reveal truth from your word to us, and then we need your help to understand it, and then we need your grace to apply it. So when we walk out of here, we are, we've been affected by your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we're not the same. God, I pray for that for myself and for every single person here, that we would see truth today in your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are, we are finishing up the Threads series, the Gospel and Personal Evangelism. And we went through five, today is the sixth week in a row, and we went through, uh, we're spelling out this acronym to help us remember, G-O-S-P-E, and then L is today, um, to help us remember these different aspects of the gospel. So we have God's character, who God is, we learned about that five weeks ago, and then O, the offense of sin, right? Our sinfulness before a holy God is worth eternal uh, judgment or punishment, and then the sufficiency of Christ, only in Christ can we be saved. Then personal response, which is the same as, I put it up there, necessity of faith. So that's another way to say it, but just the, the need for us to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And then last week, Major Debbie talked about the eternal urgency, this ur- urgency of eternity that we have and that, that we know when we see people who are unsaved, who are far from Christ, like eternity is bearing down on all of us. And so there is this, we are compelled by that to go and spread the gospel um, intentionally and with, I don't know what, intentionality. How about that? So we need to, we need to do that because of uh, these five threads. Now today, L, we have L because gospel, it doesn't spell anything. So L is not its own thread, really. God's character, offensive sin, sufficiency of Christ, personal response, eternal urgency, and then life transformation. This is just describing then what new life in Christ is like. And so that's why we put that in. Obviously, we needed to spell gospel, which is perfect. But uh, today, instead of spending a sermon on life transformation, this new life in Christ as a disciple, um, I'm going to refer or, or send you all back to the last two sermon series that came before this one. We had Hitting the Mark, where we talked about what does a disciple of Jesus Christ look like. And we walked for several weeks through a disciple of Christ lives and, and loves the scriptures. They, we pray, we, we give sacrificially, we surrender to his lordship, we obey the words of Jesus Christ, on and on. There was all those things, right? And then we went from there to if that's what a disciple of Christ looks like, then what would the Holy Spirit then do in our lives? What, what do we expect to see as disciples? Well, we're going to see the fruits of the Spirit, and we did nine weeks straight through that. So we spent a lot of time just recently talking about what this new life in Christ looks like. So I thought it would be more helpful for us to spend some practical time looking at a story from the Bible about how God specifically, in Jesus, wove threads of the gospel into this conversation with the woman at the well. So we're actually going to be in John 4, so you're definitely going to want to have that out in front of you. We're going to be looking at the first 26 verses, but I'll reference beyond that, so to have it open will be helpful. And then I have made this little thing, two-sided thing. Did, it, did anybody not get this? If you didn't get it, raise your hand and an usher who... 
are around are going to come and bring them to you. Uh, so keep your hand up. It'll take a little while for them to get around, but it'd be very helpful today specifically for you to have this. So um, it's just the outline and the notes for us to go down. So I want to read the story for us all so that it's, it's fresh. Some people, you know, some of us might not actually know this story, and some it may be very familiar, but I want it to be fresh for all of us. So if you have your Bibles, I'll be reading out of the NIV. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 26, so follow along. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman in John 4. Here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are, that you are a great prophet. Or I, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So that's where we're going to stop right there. Uh, the story keeps going a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it just ends with, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, this is where we're going to spend our time today, um, and we've been learning a lot about gospel threads, right? What, how do we talk about God's character to people in our you know, relationships around us? How do we weave threads about personal sinfulness or the sufficiency of Christ? How do we speak, without being weird, to people in our, in our lives, in our sphere of influence, about these truths? Right? So there's a tendency for us to jump into the story and go, okay, Jesus, you're doing it. I see you. You're, you're working these you know, conversations. Or you're working these threads into the conversations. What can we learn? But I just want us to slow down at the beginning just to take, just to 
one consideration before we get in that, and that is we are not, we are more like the woman in this story than we are Jesus. We need to, before we jump into this, before we learn about the weaving of the threads, we need to identify more with this woman in this story than we do Jesus. So if you woke up this morning thinking, I'm Jesus, like, we're going we're gonna to shoot that down. It should be easy. Here we go. <laughs> Three things you cannot do. So we're, we just want to start with this first because we want to approach this text with the right frame of mind. That's this, it's not in here to show us how much like God we are. We, are, we should identify with this woman first. So You'll see that in their notes there, the very first thing. We are not Jesus in this passage of Scripture. Three reasons why, really quickly. Number one, we cannot satisfy spiritual thirst. You'll see verse 10 and verse 13, Jesus says, he's offering this woman living water that will satisfy her soul's thirst. He's not like, here, I got my own bucket, I'll get you some water. He's talking about her spiritual thirst. We cannot do that. Number two, by the way, when we're offering, we don't offer to people that either, that we, as with us as the source, are we going to quench anyone's soul's problems, right? Jesus is the answer to that. Number two, we can't read people's hearts. That would be cool for evangelism's sake, you know, if we could just turn that on. Jesus speaks right into this lady's life and tells her things that only she knows, like number of husbands she's had and that the one she's, you know, all that stuff. It'd be awesome if we could walk into Starbucks and go, hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee and I'll tell you everything you ever did or, you know, and then we'll talk about how much you need Jesus. You know, it would be a good conversation starter, but it is not something we can do. And then number three, we can't claim to be the Savior like Jesus did, right? So in contrast, though, when we start to look at this lady, we're going to see some, some ways that we obviously are, are very much like her. And I want to look at three reasons there, too, uh, before we get uh, too much further in the story. So it's not hard to see ourselves. Before anything, we are the woman first. Number one, we are outside of God's family and we need Jesus to seek us. See, it, John kind of gives us this picture in here several times with this. I love his little parentheses where he's like, oh, by the way, the disciples are going to get food or that Samaritans don't associate with the Jews. He gives us these little asides in the story. But the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans. And not like, ah, I just don't like them very much. Like they were, they were outcasts, like dogs in the community, completely separated. Uh, the Jews would have nothing to do with them. In fact, if you, um, if you were a Jew around this time and you lived in the southern region and you were going to travel back up to Jerusalem, you wouldn't even travel through the area. You would cross over the Jordan River. You'd travel up the side, jump the Jordan River and back in. You can't, you're not even going to walk down their streets, right? That's, that's the way they treated them. And the reason was, it's because the Assyrians, like 720 some odd years before Christ, they came and took over the whole area, exported out a whole bunch of the leading prominent Jews in the area, and brought in a whole bunch of foreigners. Well, those foreigners started intermarrying with the Jews that were left around, and they also started synchronizing their religions, so much so that their, the ethnic, social, religious barriers started to get all smooshed. So when the Jews came back into the area after many years, they, they saw these, these uh, Jews living there, these Samaritans, and going, yeah, you're not the same as us anymore. You have nothing to do with us. And so they shunned them completely and did not even consider them anywhere near on the same plane as them, but not worthy of, of talking to or interacting with. So that's important to note here. But then we see what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 4. Keep in mind, no Jesus, I mean no Jesus, no Jew is going gonna, is gonna to have anything to do with these people. Look at verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. They never did. They always went around. 
But it says he had to go through Samaria. The Bible, just the Bible emphasizing his, his, he felt compelled to go. You kind of have to go back to chapter 3 right at the end. Ignore that there's chapters in your Bible because those are just added later. But right at the end of chapter 3, you'll see that it, Jesus is God's representative. He is acting under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. He is doing and saying things that God wants him to do. And so he feels compelled to go to Samaria. So he's under divine appointment and he goes looking for this woman in a place where they would not have interacted with her, right? She's not going to leave that place to go see Jesus somewhere else. So that's the first thing. We're, we're outside of God's family and we need Jesus to seek us. Number two, we are thirsty for God's life and we need Jesus to satisfy us. So he says it in verse 10. He says it again in 13, 14. I, I'm the living water, right? But then he tells her directly in 16, 18, when she, he starts talking about her many husbands, he's pointing right to the problem. Your soul is thirsty and dry and your life is empty and I'm the only one who can fill it. Right? Jesus is the only one who's going to satisfy us. He's, he's reminding us that we were created for a relationship with God and sin has broken that. And so now we stand in desperate need of what Jesus, only Jesus can give us, right? So he's pointing that out. We're thirsty for God's life and need Jesus to satisfy us. And the third thing, third way we're like the woman, we see ourselves in the woman first. We are blind to God's worship and we need Jesus to show us. You notice right after Jesus says, you've had many husbands, she goes, wow, I see you're a prophet. Um, we used to, we worship on this mountain, but you Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem. It's this massive digression, diversion. She doesn't want to talk about this thing he just brought up, right? No mention or, or acknowledgement of what he's saying. She, he's taken, he wants to just like move the conversation over. And, and Jesus goes with it, but he brings it back, this rabbit trail that she runs down, he brings it back to the real core of the issue, which is who Jesus is, who God is in our life and our desperate need for him, and how he is going to show us how we're now going to worship differently. It's not about mountains anymore. It's not about forums and functions. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And he came to show us that we were created for God's glory and that we're, to, we're made to worship him completely. Right? So we need Jesus to show us this. This woman was blind to what, what he was saying. In fact, multiple times, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. And Jesus keeps going, just patiently going through, weaving these threads over and over again. And so in our sin, we're, we're, in our sin, we're separated from him, and we need him to show us what worship, true worship looks like. So we're this woman first. And we may be gospel weavers, right? And we are. We're, all of us who have trusted in Jesus, that's, that's the call on our life now is to spread this. But we need to identify this woman with this woman first. Two things really quickly. One, if first to unsaved people, anybody who's just checking this out, we don't know yet if, if Christianity is all it's cracked up to be, if we believe the Bible. I hope you see in this story God who is relentlessly pursuing in love people who are far from him. Like he's not willing for anyone to be lost, right? He, he's he's going to do whatever it takes to run after you. So I'm, I hope you see a God who's not willing for mankind to just go all along in their life and their, in their journey. He came down out of heaven to make sure that there was a way for us to be restored back to him. So I hope we see that. Um, and then just as, as, you, as he calls you, he's pursuing you constantly, hear the call and turn and trust in him. And you can do that right now doesn't take any time. You can just surrender your life to Jesus and he will do that work in your life. 
But then the, to those of us who are saved, I think, I think we need to come back to this story regularly and, and ponder this woman at the well and her state. I think the more we ponder this woman and, and what, her need for Jesus, which is on full display for all of us, the better prepared we'll be to have conversations with other people, to weave these threads, because we'll remember where we came from, right, and how much, how much we can identify with her even now. That desperate need for Jesus didn't go away, right? We still need him every day for the grace, the daily grace to follow him. And so we need to, we need to regularly rely or, or ponder, I guess, and just remember this woman. It will help us be better weavers of the gospel in the future. So we identify we are not Jesus. We are the woman first, and it's, it's only by God's grace. So we're going to now move into um, these lessons that we can, we can learn from Jesus as kind of the master weaver in this story. But I want to I challenge you. I've got up here on the screen um, places that I saw the threads of the gospel woven in. But I just want to, as like, you know, I'm not going to call it homework, but I did. So challenge to go back through these verses and see if you can uh, see where these are, God's character offense of sin in these verses. But I know there's more. So to go through there and, and identify where God is dropping these threads of the gospel into this conversation with a woman. But the more than that, because we don't just want to identify spiritual truth. That's, that's a good half the battle. But to spend some time writing down what you can, how or in what relationship this week you could weave these things. How could you speak these types of truths into conversations with your coworkers, into conversations with your neighbors? What could you do application in the next week? Like write it down and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you. That's just a challenge to pull more things out of the story. Um, so you can see them there at the bottom of your page. So you turn it over, you'll see the 10, which is a lot, 10 lessons, but they don't require a lot of explanation. So they're gonna go pretty quick. So we're going we're gonna to book through this, this section. Now we're looking at Jesus and his example. And by the way, just as a side note, this is not the only example of people weaving threads of the gospel in the Bible. The other one that I was looking at is um, Paul when he was giving the gospel in Athens to, the, to the, um, the Gentiles there. So they're all from a different culture. They're not Jewish. Some of them are Jewish, but most of them just have a different way of thinking. And Paul does a really amazing way of weaving the gospel in that story as well. So as you read the Bible, and as you read especially the Gospels in the New Testament, you'll see these threads woven in there. Um, so, good to know. Okay, number 10. Here we go. Right, number 10. Number one. We're going to start from the beginning and go to the end. <laughs> and we're done. Let's pray. <laughs> no, All right, number one. Be intentional about getting where lost people are. Some of us don't have to worry about this too much, and some of us need to be very intentional. This is what I mean. We, we already saw this in verse 4, right? Jesus had to go there. He went out of his way to get to Samaria. And you know what's interesting to note? Jesus is not alone. I mean, he is in this story. He's alone having this conversation. But he brought 12 disciples, minimum of 12, right? He's got the 12 with him. But he's, he's modeling. He's demonstrating what the gospel is going to mean and look like for these people. Those 12 guys would not have been there without Jesus taking them there, right? So he's showing this is the way we go. This is how we put our, our lives next to people who are far from God. So he's modeling that for us. He's under divine appointment. Now, some of us, um, when you go to work, you're instantly surrounded by people who are far from God, right? We don't have to go looking. Some people in their, their neighborhoods, their, their relationships at work, whatever, are, are already placed right with people who need to know Jesus Christ. But some of us, 
Even those who don't work in, in Christian fields, the church or, or Christian places, have, have, I don't know, isolated themselves by just surrounding themselves with Christian people who sound and look, and we don't rub elbows with anybody who's not like us, right? So some of us, we need to, we need to take you know, intentional strides to find people that we can develop these relationships with. And it will take work. While some of us, we just go to work. And we just, you know, we have already people in our sphere of influence to, to reach out to. So number two, make sure you have access to the lost. Number two, get outside cultural and religious comfort zones. So cultural and religious, those are different, different zones, different comfort zones. But think about how surprised the woman was in verse nine. Verse nine, the more she goes, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because the Jews do not associate with Samaritans, right? That was unheard of. She's surprised. Then, we didn't read this, but verse 27, just then his disciples returned and they're surprised. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, right? With a woman, alone with a woman, not a, not a Jew. She's talking with a Samaritan, like red flags going up all over the place in these Jewish minds, right? So he, Jesus was willing to cross any lines to get the gospel out. It didn't matter what it, what it took. He was going to do that work. So this is, this is an area that we need to be used by God in to, to be able to cross over cultural barriers, cultural lines, do radical things to allow God to, do, uh, to build these relationships in us. It, it can look like a lot of different ways. Um, I just think of, you know, parents who decide to adopt another child into their family. They just, you know, adopt, so not their own, right? That is a huge shift or a, a shake-up in that family's life to adopt, right? And that is, that, is a, that is gospel on display. That's way outside of most people's comfort zones, right? That, that's the, I think of a, a college student who would go and spend their spring break in Thailand on mission for, for God instead of doing whatever else, you know, spring break means. I think of, a, of um, families who are using their resources to, to adopt you know, like through Compassion International or, or sponsor, I guess is the word, sponsor a child in an impoverished place. Or anytime we, we sacrifice our, our time, our, our resources to get the gospel into, into places where it has never been heard, whatever, all those types of things. You know what that does when we live this way, when we start to get outside cultural and religious comfort zones, it makes the people around us go, what? What is up with these people? Why are they so different? Why would you spend your money that way? Why would you give up these things for the gospel in these various ways, all these different ways, right? It causes people to ask questions. And, and that's not why we give the gospel. Remember that the why, the motivation behind giving the gospel is because people are far from God, right? That's what compels us. Love for people and God's love for us compels us to go. But it is a byproduct of our going. It allows our lives to continuously point to a good God and a good gospel that is worth giving everything up for, Right? So, get outside, comfort zones, religious, cultural, whatever it is. Number three, take the initiative in starting gospel thread conversations. So Jesus does this in verse seven. He sits down, he's tired, and he's thirsty. And here comes a woman who's about to pull water out of a well. Boom, we've got common ground. I'm thirsty, you got water, can I have a drink? That's all he says. He doesn't say, I am Jesus and, uh, you know, you're sinful. He says, can I have a drink of water? So look for areas in your life that you can have common ground with people. So different time, every time our spheres of influence with other people overlaps, and it's like clubs and groups and social gatherings, whatever it is, look for ways to intersect our lives with them. 
And as we do that, number four, we use gospel threads to prompt curiosity in conversations. Almost every sentence Jesus spoke made her go, what? And ask, an, and ask another follow-up question. So this is all kind of wrapping into one, but these things that we do and the things that we say should prompt curiosity in the people that we're having these conversations with. And number five, this is so, so huge, because it's hard. Number five, make the gospel big by addressing personal sinfulness. So this is what, this is what I mean. You know in this story that Jesus had to get to verse 16 and 17. He had to get to the part about her husband's. Like he knew that was coming and he needed to get there. Why? Why did he have to do that? Because he had to bring that woman to a place where she realized her need for Jesus because of her sin. With it, the gospel is only as big as the sin that addresses. So we need to be careful not to, to, to pull back and, and, and you know, because it is, it's uncomfortable to talk about personal sin in our life and other people's lives, but we need to be careful that we don't, you know, gloss over that thread of the gospel. Because we, we learn this, any sin, no matter how small you think it is, against an eternally holy God is worth a, worthy of etern, eternal punishment, right? We already talked about that. There's no small sin. But the people you're talking to typically think they don't have a big sin problem. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm basically good. I'm mostly good. Whatever they're, they're thinking. And if, that's, if they think that, then how much do they need the gospel? Just a little bit. Just enough to cover whatever they think their issue is, right? So we have to be careful. When the thought is that sin is little, that the consequences of sin are little, then the gospel is little. Does that make sense? When, when we see our sin as large, which is the reality, then the gospel is great and precious. Like there has to be bad news before there can be good news. So, so we have to pray that the Holy Spirit will help us speak the truth about personal sinfulness with grace and love and in his timing, just all those things, so that we can show the good gospel really good. So number five, make the gospel big by addressing personal sinfulness. And then six and seven are, are tiny. I'll blow through these. Expect diversions and distractions. This lady did not want to deal with things. She's talking about all, you know, like, hey, you're talking about this. I want to talk about mountains and where we worship. I don't want to talk about husbands right now, right? So expect that. Know that this is not a clean, tidy, hey, I've got you for five minutes. Here's the gospel. Bing, bong, 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 bong. Let's pray. You know, you're entering into messy life. Messy life. So they're going to ask questions, and in your head you're thinking, man, that's not going to help us get back to the gospel. Let them go. Jesus doesn't go, hey, focus. Son of God here, <laughs> be with me in this. Don't, don't get distracted. He lets her go. Not, not only that, number seven, be willing to chase rabbits. He goes down the worship trail to bring it back around to the gospel threads. I want to show you a God now who is going to completely do away with all the you know, specifics of your worship and what mountain and how, you know, priests and sacrifice. I'm going, to, I'm going to get rid of all that, right? And you can just walk into my throne room and worship me. So that's what he's coming to show. And so be willing to chase the rabbits all the way back to threads. Okay, number eight. Don't demand full understanding of every gospel truth. If you can't get the full gospel out, don't stress. We're just planting and sowing, which are neither of those line up with our weaving analogy. We are threading the needle and poking, I don't know, or you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I don't want to mix too many metaphors in our sermon series. But we are, we are just dropping these threads into people's lives. We don't need to see the whole picture. And we don't need to demand people in the, 
in those conversations to come up with that. I'm so glad that as a five, five and a half, six-year-old kid, I didn't have to have my systematic theology all down. I didn't need to verbalize all five points of the gospel, right? I just, Jesus accepted me as I was, and I knew what was important to, to trust in Jesus and turn from my sin, right? So don't, don't have that expectation on the conversations that we have. Uh, just trust that even if you can't get it all out, that God's going to fill in the rest. You know, in verse 27, he was interrupted. Then Jesus declared, verse 26, I'm the one who's speaking to you. I am he. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned. He's like, no, dang it. We didn't even pray. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He just got interrupted and God knows it's going to happen. This God's gospel and the word of God is enough. So don't overstress getting all that in there. Two more. Number nine, imagine every unbeliever as a potential gospel weaver. So see the people in your life far from God, right? Not just as saved. Yes, of course, you want them to be saved, right? But we see them as someone who can go and weave threads immediately. Do you see this woman? So we didn't read this. Jesus talks to his disciples a little bit. The woman goes back to her town and spreads her own threads right there. She starts weaving it, and they start coming out of the town to go hear Jesus. And in verse 41, many people are saved, right? So don't see people as just saved, but as someone who witnesses for Jesus, right? See them as a powerful disciple, disciple maker. See the homeless person as a gospel storyteller. See the prostitute as a preacher. See the materialistic, middle-class suburbanite as someone who is on fire for Jesus as a missionary in the Sudan. Like, like, don't get stuck on where they are now. See them as God sees them. It's the same way he sees all of us who would surrender to him. This is what God wants to do with our lives, is take us and turn us into powerful disciple makers. And the very last one, uh, as the worship team comes up, just trust gospel threads to wield the gospel's full power. And I know some of these mush together, but, you know, you don't see Jesus busting out the four spiritual laws or walking them down the Romans road, right, or leading her in a sinner's prayer, but he knows that as he's doing this, you don't have to get all the aspects. Sometimes we think, if I don't shoot all five out, then maybe it won't stick. You know? And we're just like, ugh. Sometimes, I know, I've even had this thought. It's like, I don't have time to go into the gospel with this person right now, so I'll stick to the weather. You know? <laughs> or I'm just not going to go there. So we need to, we need to just trust that, the, that there's power in the gospel, because the Bible says it is, to break through the hardest heart. You don't have, it's not up to you. This is the work the Holy Spirit does, right? So we're speaking again with that confidence we've talked about before that the gospel is going to do the work. And we see in verse 41, many of these Samaritans become saved. Many do. You think the disciples were surprised when Jesus was talking to the woman. They were probably really surprised when they started becoming, you know, turning toward to follow Jesus in droves. Like that, that's even more amazing. So we're going to sing a song right now, but as we do, I want us to think, we, a couple weeks ago and several times throughout this, we've written down names of people in our sphere of influence who are far from God, right? People that you know. These are, these are faces, hopefully. You're not just writing, you know, Japan. This people that you know. So write down their names, and, and during this song, and as we pray, pray for them, and how God is going to use you to weave these gospel threads in very intentional ways, like what we learned today, into their life. And then, don't just pray, 
pray and be sensitive to the ways that he's going to open doors for you to do that. Sometimes we do that. We just pray, and then we're like, oh, we just pray some more and pray some more. We pray, and then we look out and to see where is now God changing things and moving things and conversations are starting. And I'm praying about these five, but he brings this one. Hopefully I'm not distracted by my prayers for these ones and miss this one who's asking questions, right? So we pray, and then we expect things to happen around us as we see God's moving. So pray, and then be sensitive to his spirit. So let's sing this song and then we're just gonna, we're gonna end in prayer. Let's pray. God, as we, we, we picture these people in our minds that, are, that, that don't know you, God, we recognize that you love them way, way more than we could possibly love them. And so we just give them over to you and we just want, we just want you to draw them, to do that work of, of preparing their hearts, softening them, helping them to see the truths of the gospel um, as, we, as we share and as we, uh, we intentionally put our lives next to them, God. Help them to see that. Because that's the only the work uh, that the Holy Spirit can do. So we just pray that you would do that. And God, I pray that we would be faithful in our understanding of the gospel and our taking of the gospel to those who need it. Help us to see those places and those conversations that we can, we can weave these threads in. God, I thank you so much for your grace towards us and saving us and for, for helping us to see the truth of the gospel for ourselves. And then I just pray that you would so fill our hearts and minds with your love for us that we would be compelled to spread that. Because we, we, don't, we like you, do not want to see anyone uh, depart this world without a personal relationship with you uh, for salvation. God, I pray that this people would be known for that, for being ones that step outside and have those conversations and, and work alongside uh, your spirit as we bring people into the kingdom. I thank you and praise you for the work you're doing in this faith family. In Jesus' name, amen.